3: it's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, I'm Brian
4: Kilmeade. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hope you had a fantastic weekend. We're back in action today, Monday. But don't look for me at 48th and 6th. I'm actually in Oklahoma City, the beautiful studios of Freedom 96.9, Oklahoma's talk radio. Uh, we are going live here for the first time ever, and it's really exciting. And I'm almost as excited now as I will be in three hours when I go to Car Crew b- Barbecue at 3510 Northwest Expressway in Oklahoma City. So if you're in Tulsa, I know it takes about two hours. That's where I drove from this morning. If you're from anywhere in the Oklahoma area or a neighboring state, uh, saddle up, put things on the luggage rack, whatever you need to do, and come to town. So I look forward to signing books for a couple hours. Uh, The President of Freedom Fighter now out on paperback. Special thanks to everyone in Tulsa last night uh, who came out on a Sunday night. Truly appreciate it. And on Saturday in Brandon, Mississippi. Meanwhile, we have a lot of things going on. The President of the United States just met for about three hours with the President of China. He's going to give us an idea of what took place. He's had a press conference. We'll dip in and out of it. He opened up, talked about the election, and then talked about what he talked about in Egypt, which is climate change, and China, of course, doing their own thing. They are moving forward electric cars and solar panels, but they are continuing to move forward with coal, uh, oil, and gas, kind of like we should be doing uh, in a responsible way. So I'll leave an idea if something happens there. Meanwhile, let's get to the big three.
3: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com.
0: Number three. I hope the president is very clear in drawing red lines. I hope he's very clear about Taiwan, that we will continue to arm Taiwan so it can defend itself. And if China goes for the jugular in Taiwan, then we will come to their aid.
4: Man, I feel so much better if Tom Cotton was in that meeting that just ended. But that's what Tom Cotton said that should have come up. He's the guy that predicted, of course, that, the, that this COVID came from the lab and it came right from China. Stop all flights. Trump listened. Uh, that is what happened. We're going to review our China policy. The Chinese did, Chinese did have a readout. We'll give you their perspective on what took place.
2: Number
5: two.
6: Now he is tearing apart the Republican Party. Since the election, who does he go after? Not Schumer, not Biden, not Pelosi. He goes after DeSantis and Junkin. And that has got to stop.
4: 2024, Trump one day away from announcing another run. What does that mean? Uh, because he has a massive war chest. And what does it mean for the rest of the field and the country? As many are blaming the 45th president for the failures in 22.
3: Number one.
7: The oversight is a primary function of the Congress. And for the last two years, there has, there has been no oversight of the Biden agenda. That has to be a focal point of every single committee in the Congress, especially in the House, under Republican control. Yep, that is Congressman Jim Bank yesterday. House not locked yet.
4: Senate says stays Democrat. And Georgia is still in play. What does that mean for the next two years? And what can we expect now that Joe thinks his agenda has been greenlighted for two more years uh, we will get the analysis. And we'll get your analysis, too, 1 408 7669. Let me tell you the state of the game right now. Republicans have 212 confirmed seats, Democrats have 204. What does that mean? They mean they need 218. There are about 20 seats yet to be called 11 in California, 2 in Colorado, Oregon, and Washington. 20 uncalled for House races, as you know. And right now, 10. Uh, the Republicans need 7 seats. Right now, it's 10 10 in terms of who's leading but they have not counted all the votes, especially in California. Get this, so few seats have changed, but we have spent, they have spent $7.6 billion on just ads in this cycle. We are basically locked in our lanes and we'll see what'll happen because Joe Biden thought it was gonna be a tsunami. Why wasn't it? Essentially, it's because a lot of the candidates were not electable. Mastriano in, uh, in Pennsylvania was unelectable. Uh, we know that uh, Masters was denied funding By Mitch McConnell. We know that Donald Trump did not fund to the way he should have the candidates that he pushed forward. We know that Governor Sununu and Governor Ducey would have been Senator Sununu and Senator Ducey in Arizona and New Hampshire, respectively, but they decided not to go. Where are we now in Georgia? Well, Warnock got more votes by about 35,000. How is Herschel going to make up the difference? And will Mitch McConnell stay firmly in Herschel's camp, continue to work the deal with Brian Kemp's analytics? who had so much success in the governor's race, will he give it to Herschel to beat Warnock? Well, I'll say this. The Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, who won again, is now looking into and investigating uh, and subpoenaing uh, Warnock and his church, the Ebenezer church. Why? Because they own 99% of an apartment complex where the conditions are squalor, where people are immediately uh, tossed out if they make one payment a little bit too late, and they own 99% of this building. And if he gets paid... To be their pastor, why is Warnock not responsible? He wants to divorce himself from it, and it's just not, uh, not going to be possible. But it's good to see Republicans on the offensive uh, for a change. So when it comes to the midterms, what they should learn, both sides are being relatively honest before they get their sides and start moving forward on a strategy. Here's what George Pataki said, the former governor of New York. He is pretty clear who he blames. Cut three.
6: Now, he is tearing apart the Republican Party. Since the election, who does he go after? Not Schumer, not Biden, not Pelosi. He goes after DeSantis and Yunke. And that has got to stop. And the only way it stops is if we don't talk about him anymore. We talk about open borders. We talk about our energy industry being devastated. We talk about inflation. We talk about the problems we have uh, all across this country with getting young people to work because of the trillions in giveaways and we win. We talk about Donald Trump and we lose. We followed him off a cliff in 2018. We followed him to a loss to Joe Biden, of all people, in 2020. We just had a horrible night. You know, and I think that's part of the reason.
4: So, Pataki went on. I, I can't say he's wrong, but I will say this. Way too much blame is going on Donald Trump. This is absolutely a scapegoat. He went from zero blame to everybody blaming him. The DeSantis and Yunkin have just kept their powder dry. They're not saying a word. I think they're both going to end up running. Although DeSantis, I think more 50-50. Yunkin, I think is 80-20. Donald Trump announcing tomorrow. I think, I don't know anybody who thinks this is a good idea. From, uh, from uh, Corey Lewandowski to even now Jason Miller has said in the past. Uh, you have his greatest ally saying not a good move. Why deflect from Herschel at all? Get that seat, put all the pressure on Manchin and Cinema. return them to power. If you take them out of the equation, who knows what the Democrats will try to do, even though it looks bleak for them in two years, you can't say anything is certain. So to me, Donald Trump should pull back, not make that announcement tomorrow night. Everybody's blaming everybody, but I actually think they've overcorrected Republicans from not blaming Donald Trump at all for anything, being afraid to, to now blaming him for everything. Among the people not doing that, is Jim Banks. Jim Banks actually wants a position in leadership in the House. And he also says, we're going to have to do some investigations. They're not going to back off on that. And they shouldn't. But it can't be all about investigations when, in fact, they do get control of the House. Here's what Jim Banks said yesterday on Fox News Sunday, Cut 12.
7: The oversight is a primary function of the Congress. And for the last two years, there has, there has been no oversight of the Biden agenda and the Biden administration. So that has to be a focal point of every single committee in the Congress, especially in the House, under Republican control. There's never been an investigation into the pullout of Afghanistan that cost the lives of 13 of our heroes. That that, that means that the Congress did not do their job in providing that type of oversight, oversight of, of the, the origins of COVID, the lockdowns, the uh, closure of schools and the outcome of that. I believe that the American people, not, not just those on the right, they expect Congress to step up to the plate and provide that type of accountability. And they will, and they, there's got to be. And it can't be about
4: the drug addict, crack addict uh, Hunter Biden. It's got to be about what it means for the international business deals that he did, why Paul Manafort ends up in solitary confinement, and this guy is still being investigated for three years when you have the, uh, all his illicit activities being spelled out on a laptop. So other people that are being called out, I think, number one, Mitch McConnell. And I think it's by Rick Scott. But Rick Scott's got to look in the mirror, too. He was in charge of the Republican conference. He thought it was going to be 55, 55 seats. That's what the polls sold him. For some reason, that didn't develop. It didn't develop in New Hampshire. It didn't develop in Nevada. It didn't develop in Arizona. I'm stunned by Nevada. Number one, they can't count. Number two, they did it so slow. And number three, that you had at Laxalt. Who's got re- deep roots in Nevada, led throughout the polls, read throughout uh, all the polls going in, and had the lead the entire time until the final day, and then it became so overwhelming when Clark County came in. I would just love to see this reined in and somehow counted on time. It leads to people thinking that there's something underhanded. The other thing that should stop, and Republicans should be honest, you should not have a, a vote on the Republican leadership, Mitch McConnell. Why are you doing that? Makes no sense. Number one, you know you're not going to be in the majority. Number two, Mitch McConnell, the fear is, and that's what Marco Rubio was saying last week, that as soon as he finds out if he lost Nevada, which he did, he's going to pull from Herschel. Why? Because he is, Herschel is a Trump pick. He'd rather put money into Murkowski that's already a Republican seat than put money into the Trump pick. And that's my worry, and that's Republicans' worry. I want to see Herschel in the Senate. I think he's light years better than Warnock. I think he's getting a bad rap. People just have no problem uh, mocking his intellect. And I think they're way out of bounds in doing it. Number one, they're inaccurate. Number two, aren't we worried about stereotypes when it comes to this? Weren't we backing out as a country on labeling people a certain way uh, by any stereotypes that might have uh, been around way too long? Why are people okay with that? Here's Charlie Hurt on
5: Mitch McConnell. And what their worry is. Cut 18. Mitch McConnell has a real problem on his hands right now. We're already starting to see people trying to circle the wagons in in the Senate, trying to protect him. But the bottom line is Mitch McConnell has been part of leadership for 20 years. Mm -hmm. He has been the leader for 15 years. And so many of the problems, whether it is addressing this issue of the way voting is conducted in different states whether we're talking about candidate selection, which he wants to dump all over, or we're talking about <laughs> the message yeah. that, that Republicans carry forward, then, um, that, you know, I'm sorry, that, that falls to his feet. If you're a college football coach and you come up with a losing season like this, you're going to pay, pay a hefty price.
4: one 866 i will come back and take your calls in a moment. We're privileged to be here, carried live for the first time ever uh, in Oklahoma City. Oklahoma's Talk Radio Freedom 96.9. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here.
3: Honest commentary, unique opinions, no agenda. It's Brian Kilmeade.
0: Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.
3: He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade.
9: One China policy, our one China policy has not changed. Has not changed. We oppose unilateral change in the status quo by either side, and we're committed to maintaining the peace and stability in the Taiwan Straits.
4: Yeah, that's uh, what President Biden just said moments ago in a press conference that lasted four questions, about 15 minutes. But he had three and a half hours with President Xi. What went, what went down? We're going to get an idea because the Chinese usually, as of late, have put out divergent messages from the same meetings in which we attended. But there's so much at stake with this, uh, with this China-U.S. meeting. It is uh, very akin to the 1970s with the Soviets, the 60s and 70s, and partially the 80s to the wall fell. Uh, Jonathan Ward's going to be on with us next. He's the author of China's Vision of Victory. He's been watching all these things. He's been hearing what's going on behind the scenes. And it is wishful thinking for the president to think that we're going into competition, not confrontation, because they are confronting us in just about every way, including infiltrating uh, our schools, buying our farmland, uh, doing the best they can with espionage to find out our latest military opportunities and advances. And they've been great at stealing it. We're finally wising up to it, but everything seems too slow. I'm going to talk to Jonathan Ward about that. But in a few other minutes here, as I come to you from Oklahoma City, where. I understand in a couple of hours, we're going to be signing the President of Freedom Fighter. I'm going to be signing the President of Freedom Fighter uh, at uh, Clark Crew Barbecue in 3510 Northwest Expressway in Oklahoma City. Dave Chappelle hosted SNL. And I don't watch much of much SNL, even though their cold open was Fox and Friends, and I was impersonated by a gay Asian guy. So fantastic. Um, meanwhile, Dave Chappelle came out, and he came out, and he basically said this about the Kanye West situation, about the Kyrie Irving situation, and about him almost being, well, let's say the writers who decided to boycott this week that was rumored because he said what they claim was um, uh, upsetting things about transgender people. He also upset, to a degree, uh, the Jewish community. Here's I, I, A lot of what he said was just flat-out brilliant. A lot of what we said was direct. It was a lot of it about President Trump, too. Here's what he said... Uh, that seemed to have got him uh, got on the other side of the, of the defamation, defamation league. Cut
10: 33. Well, I've been to Hollywood. Don't no want y'all to get mad at me. I'm just telling you this, I've been to Hollywood. This is just what I saw. It's a lot of juice. <laughs> like a lot. <laughs> but that didn't mean anything. You know what I mean? There's a lot of black people in Ferguson, Missouri. that not run the place. I could see if you had some kind of issue, you know what I mean? You might go out to Hollywood and you might might start connecting some kind of lines and you could maybe adopt the delusion that the Jews run show business. It's not a crazy thing to think, but it's a crazy thing to say out loud in a client like this. <laughs>
4: so he just came out and a lot of the stuff he probably wrote the day before. And to be that good, that quick, on, uh, on a live stage, I guess when you're the best at something, whether he's your taste or not, you have to understand how extraordinary he is at his job. It's the way he delivers it. It's the thoughtfulness in which he puts it out there. He gets you thinking. He says, I'm a Democrat. He also pointed out some things about Trump that stood out. Now, the Anti-Defamation League weighed in on this. And they said, we shouldn't expect Dave Chappelle to serve a society's moral compass. But disturbing to see that NBC, SNL, not just normalized but popularized the anti-Semitism. Why are Jewish sensitivities denied or diminished at almost every turn? So, listen, I don't know. This is the way everyone used to make fun of Italians. They're all in the mob. Uh, They used to make fun of Irish. They're all drunk. Um, Everybody used to make fun of everybody. Don Rickles made a living in it. That was mild compared to the way we used to be. Was it incentive then, or do we have a better sense of humor able to laugh at us uh, or ourselves? That's a good question, One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. 408 7669 I had no problem with it. I wasn't offended by it. In fact, he did make a reference to Italians as mobsters. I'm half Italian, and Irish do drink a lot. I'm Irish. There is a lot of Italians in the mob. None of my family, but I'm not insulted by it. They are very loud. I think Italians are very loud. Did I insult any Italians? I'm not sure. The one thing I did think that he, uh, uh, he went on to say this about what Kanye West and Kyrie Irving did wrong. Cut 30.
10: I got to tell you guys, I've probably been doing this uh, 35 years now. And early in my career, I learned that there are two words in the English language that you should never say together in sequence. And those words are the and juice. <laughs> I've never heard someone... Do good after they said that. <laughs> Kanye's has got into some scrapes before. Normally, when he when he's in trouble, I pull up, I pull up immediately. <laughs> but this time, I was like, you know what? Uh, let me see what's going to happen first. I just want to see, just want to see where this all going.
4: And then, you know, Kanye West doubled down. He also went to bed and said, "Tomorrow, I'm really going to open up." And he opened up, and he ruined his uh, career temporarily or, or forever. Uh, blew up his uh, Adidas deal. Blew up so many of his record deals. Blew up so many of his relationships, personal and professional. And now he's kind of disappeared. Dave Chappelle brought it up. It was amazing that Kyrie Irving followed in his wake uh, right after. So when we come back, uh, I am going to be talking to Jonathan Ward about what's going on right now. Uh, what's going on right now uh, when, it comes, uh, when it comes to China. And then we'll be taking some calls, more calls on the back end. But thanks so much, everyone, for coming out in Tulsa last night and in Brandon the night before. I hope to see everyone in Newark, New Jersey. You have plenty of time to get there anywhere in the greater United States and Canada. Keep listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show.
3: Information you want, truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: So now that you've met with him face-to-face, how do you assess um, his sort of posture towards the United States now? And did you find him personally to be more confrontational or more conciliatory and willing to compromise?
11: Neither
9: and yes. Yes, I didn't find him more confrontational or more conciliatory. I found him the way he's always been, direct and straightforward. And uh, do I think he's willing to compromise on various issues? Yes.
4: Uh, That was Joe Biden talking about his three-and-a-half-hour meeting with President Xi. Joining us now is Jonathan Ward. And you know Jonathan. He's been uh, on before. Every time something big with China comes up, which is almost every day we try to have him on, he was the author of China's Vision of Victory. Jonathan, what is your take on the number one, the length of the meeting, and the president's four-question presser right after
1: Hi, Brian. Good to be back with you. Well, look, I think it makes sense for them to meet for a substantial amount of time. Um, You know, this is the first meeting they've had face-to-face, and it's going to be probably an important moment of history, whether for good or for bad. So glad that there was some time for them to talk through some issues. And the readouts have emerged now. I mean, they're somewhat conciliatory. They're talking about, I mean, essentially Biden saying, look, there are areas we can cooperate on. We need to work together. We don't want to veer into conflict. I mean, talking points that we all understand from many uh, prior White House statements on China. Um, but the real issue to me is that just three weeks ago, you had Xi Jinping's, um, you know, readout of Chinese grand strategy at the 20th Party Congress, where he basically gave um, a very lengthy update, as he does every five years, on the status of the great rejuvenation of the Chinese nation, explaining, um, you know, with crystal clarity that this is a strategy to return to the center of, um, you know, international affairs, to become the dominant power, to work across every, um, you know, peace and technology and industry that matters to to power to prepare the military for uh, the storms ahead. You know, this is a a communist party leader who just last week was um, telling his military to prepare for war as he does on essentially a quarterly basis. So, you know, to me, I think my concern would be that um, if there's any Uh, expectation in the Biden administration that they can return to a sort of compete and engage type model, um, they're missing the direction of the People's Republic of China. And, you know, I I think there aren't, um, you know, all that many people that understand the depth of what this is, what we're dealing with. I mean, Xi Jinping in his, um, you know, in in, in the 20th Party Congress talks about the uh, importance of their historic mission um, to, to you know, rejuvenate China. I mean, this is something that he believes was passed to him from Mao, and Mao believes was passed to him from people prior. And if we're not dealing with that yet, we're losing time already. And, um, you know, we've got to be serious because we know what their strategy is. But what are we doing to counter it? That's the real question. And I think it's still far too little.
4: Right. It's as if the President Xi is saying, do your research. You can say whatever you want, but you know my vision. I just told it to you two weeks ago. So I'm not going to be unnecessarily confrontational, but their policy is. The question is, how healthy is China, Jonathan, to actually compete the way they want to? The zero COVID policy has been damaging. The lack of market principles in their economies hurt them. They have unemployment among young people, which I also understand they got environmental issues that have never been addressed. What is the reality of China's strength?
1: I think that's all true. And on the other hand, it's still um, the world's second largest economy. The IMF tells us it's 18 to 19 trillion dollars, where we're about 24, 25. So we've never had a competitor of this size. Um, You know, there are 70 percent of the world's countries trade more with China than with us. There's 30 percent of the world's manufacturing base. Um, You know, they're merging companies and strategic industries um, in ways that are far larger than our multinational corporations. So um, the health, I think, when we look at general sort of macroeconomic statistics is one thing, but when we look at the pieces that matter to Chinese grand strategy, it's quite another. And I think they will be able to weather storms. They're going to be um, a force to be reckoned with one way or another. And you'll see how difficult it is. And this is what's necessary uh, for us to essentially de-risk and and cut our dependencies from China um, and rebuild the world economy around them. I mean, that's a task that many people think is impossible. I don't think it's impossible, um, but they're staying power in the world economy unless we take serious action, I think is, is quite serious.
4: The Decisive Decade is your book coming out, The American Grand Strategy for Triumph Over China. So obviously you don't think it's impossible, uh, but this is going to be the challenge. Now, where our red lines are, hey, can you control North Korea? They're sending a bunch of rockets about to do a nuclear test. Hey, Can you stop, take, stop making and taking over islands and stop rattling the cage of Taiwan? What should we be doing to let them know that an invasion of Taiwan will not stand without saying for sure, which he said three times at least before, that we will fight
1: you if you do? Well, we need to build the right military posture in the Pacific. Um, As uh, Congressman Mike Gallagher, I believe, said, we talk about building a 350-ship Navy. China went out and did it. So um, so we're not uh, walking the walk, we may be talking the talk, but we're going to have to make sure that Taiwan is armed with the right systems, we're going to have to make sure that our allies, um, you know, are, are engaged in defense concepts that will work against that sort of contingency and basically to show, um, you know, to find a return to peace through strength, which will be very difficult in a closing window. And that's why we have to focus on a combination of, um, you know, economic revitalization of the United States, economic containment of China, and then uh, reinvestment in the kind of defense system. Systems that will, um, you know, lead to an advantage. And this is all, um, you know, I'd say I'd say quite serious now. I mean, um, the commander of U.S. Strategic Command, um, you know, which is America's nuclear forces, of course, um, you know, he recently said um, basically that the, the Ukraine wars is just a um, preview and the big one is coming and that the ship is sinking, his words, not mine, when it comes to deterrence of China because they're putting more systems into the field faster than we are. So, you know, this is what happens when we we allow this place to grow for 30 years through access to our markets, our capital, our technology. They've converted it all into military power, um, and they've made absolutely clear that they intend to use it at some point. And you even have Biden administration officials like Secretary Blinken saying, "Hey, look, the time frame for Taiwan may be sooner than we thought." So, um, you know, all of that I think are those are the real pieces of the relationship. That's what what really matters. We've been asking them about. North Korea for decades, and obviously that's not going to, to, to change. And their support for Vladimir Putin and his invasion of Ukraine is something that should be lost on nobody. Um, so the real issues, I think, are not about talking to the Communist Party of China. It's about building a containment strategy that works.
4: Here is uh, more from the president's short press conference. Cut for
9: On my first trip overseas last year, I said that America was back, back at home, Back at the table and back to leading the world. In the year and a half that's followed, we've shown exactly what that means. America is keeping its commitments. America is investing in our strength at home. America is working alongside our allies and partners to deliver real, meaningful progress around the world. And at this critical moment, no nation is better positioned to help build the future we want than the United States of America. Right. Uh, And he also said one of his priorities was climate change.
4: You know what Russia China is doing at a dizzying rate, building coal plants and buying more coal and no plans to curtail them, although they are have a solar panel industry. They're looking into windmills and electric cars, as well as hydrogen cars. So he continues to make that his priority, which to me is not in our national security interest.
1: Right. And they want to get us hooked on their um, you know, energy technology instead of the other way around. I mean, we're obviously the capability to be one of the largest, if not the largest energy exporter in the world. And, you know, if we switch to rare earth-based supply chains without building those supply chains on our own, which we have to do, um, I mean, that's that's something that they process the vast majority of it, hold the most reserves. So we have a whole, um, you know, very deep set of undertakings to to deal with. And, and I think there's there's a little more talk than action. And that's what we need to do is enter the action phase here you <laughs> Um, So, you know, I think that um, President Biden's right about allies, and I agree with that. We have to be doing that. On the other hand, you just had the German chancellor go over to China right after the party Congress and bring all the major car companies and chemical companies and everybody in Germany um, that want access to that market. So we don't yet have a coherent strategy. It's going to have to be about economics, and it's going to have to be about getting our allies also on the right side of the economic picture and our CEOs. I mean, we can't do this, and this is one of the important points in my book, is we've won our strategic competitions in the past, the Second World War, the Cold War, all through our economic power. Eventually, we're able to translate that into victory, either through peacetime containment or in a wartime scenario. And right now, um, we're on a scale, I think, of um, having our companies in an adversary market you know, on a scale that we've never seen in history. I mean, it's so, such a a larger thing than it was even when our corporations were embedded in Nazi Germany, and it obviously wasn't part of a Cold War where we had two blocks. So until we get our CEOs to play for Team America, uh, we don't have a chance here because, I mean, China's corporations, and that's Mm -hmm. the basis of economic powers, commerce, and business, they all report directly to the Communist Party of China. They've been locking that in for years now. So they have an economic battle fleet. We don't. We have to fix that and we have to send ours into action.
4: Jonathan, hey, we're talking with Jonathan Ward, author of China's Vision of Victory, about the press conference you just concluded after a three-and-a-half-hour meeting with the President of the United States and the President of China. So, Jonathan, do, what leverage do we have over these corporations to start pulling out, whether it's JP JPMorgan Chase or, or whether it's Nike? I mean, what could we do in the free market principles in which we uh, profess to enjoy?
1: Well, the first thing is we, we shouldn't get too tied up in our principles because this is a non market economy that's been exploiting a um, of, of free trade relationship for years. I and mean, it's never I really you. been a free trade relationship. So we have to get over that and uh, not let them, not let us uh, hang ourselves with the, you know, sell them the rope to, that they're going to hang us with. That's the, the phase that they think they're in. Um, but, you know, we have all kinds of, um, you know, excellent tools here. That's the thing that the United States actually has is basically 70 or 80 years worth of economic policy that we're just not using. So things like the Battle Act of 1951, uh, the International Emergency Powers Act, for the President of the United States, um, you can basically do anything. I mean, you can shut off investment. You can do outbound investment reviews. You can do export controls. We're starting to see that. That's something that this administration is doing well. Um, you can deny their access to our markets. If you do that in concert with allies, that's the end of their growth game. Um, so basically, you start doing that, and you get capital to redirect itself towards rebuilding the United States. I mean, we're going to have to reindustrialize. We have a huge advantage in our capital markets which actually dwarf China's um, and we need to direct that here instead of looking for growth over there and the other thing is the businesses have to understand risk in China I mean everything that they're putting in there is totally at risk I mean they can't get the money out they probably know that but shareholders need to start holding um, excellent idea accountable
4: Jonathan that is so great because if you start alerting people uh, in their funds whether they're holding pension funds for cops in New York uh, or or somewhere else that the part of the investments in China, and that's insecure by its definition, by its location, that will get their attention when you get people who say, I'm not going to do it. Or if you have people at home listening to us right now say, we have one enemy in this world that's fighting us in every way, way shape, or form. And I am not comfortable taking my dollars, even if it's $10, and knowing that it's being invested in China. Even if you claim in the short term, it's going to provide a profit for me.
1: Well, that's absolutely right, Brian. I mean, that that's the thing that anyone can do is call your 401K and ask what they're yeah. doing in China. And why are they putting our money at risk? Do they understand what Xi Jinping is saying? Do they understand the military buildup? I think most money managers don't understand this. They're looking at the macroeconomic growth rates, the billion-person population, and the general forecasts of places like J.P. Morgan, which still think China will surpass us in what? 2031, regardless is, of everything you and I have done. Uh,
4: I know. Now. J.P. Morgan. I, I've seen Jamie Dimon speak. So right now, what's the result of them plowing, uh, taking over Hong Kong?
1: Well, you know, it's, it's it's funny. I think it's one of those too early to tell. Um, I mean, you just did have all of the major bank CEOs go over there um, basically to meet with Hong Kong officials. So clearly they're showing, you know, they're signaling that they're not out of, of that market. They still want to be there. On the other hand, I think the operations major banks are all migrating to Singapore. I and mean, Hong Kong is now understood to be essentially a piece of the People's Republic of China. So it's higher risk from an operations standpoint, but people still want access to the China market. And the question is, do they get that through Hong Kong, Shanghai, or or some Singaporean variation? So I think the banks are still over there. They still want to be part of the growth of the, the consumer class and all of that. I mean, all of those tropes are still uh, true for, I think, uh, business leaders and investment banks. Still, they're still thinking a billion customers. You know, China has something like $75 trillion in net wealth. Now we have much more than that. We have 125 or so. Um, and, and a lot of that's wrapped up in their housing market. But bottom line, people still want exposure to that. They want to manage the wealth of the that's been created over the last 10 or 20 years. Um, and, and that's something we can't do. I mean, as a friend of mine who's a Reagan era Cold Warrior said, we didn't have American bankers in the USSR helping them beco- become uh, more economically efficient. I mean, why would we do that now? This is probably much more dangerous than the USSR. So the president-
4: He's just got to make it clear. He's, he's got to just go. Part of his speech is going to be corporate America has to think twice, and the invest, American people have to think twice in supporting a company with your investment dollars that will put that money into China because China has made it their mission and use some quotes to unseat America and, and dislodge us and, and, and make up subservient to them. Now, let me just ask you my final thought Is it possible to be a Jack Ma of Alibaba and emerge in China today? with their clamp down on on wealth?
1: Well I think not. And it depends on how you look at Jack Ma. I mean in a way he's sort of a free spirit. I mean he um you know I think was a very confident and, and sort of um expansive business person who represented the potentially different future for China. But then we all discover he's part of the Communist Party. And, you know, it's not such a great surprise. And even Alibaba is tied to some pretty nefarious programs. So, um, so I, I think at this point, the party's hold over its entrepreneurs is different than it was in the 2010s and 2000s. Um, but it's still a large market, and you take things like, um, you know, ByteDance and SenseTime. I mean, those are very large companies, um, but doing things that, that nobody should invest in, honestly. Um, and I think Poor Jack is just off the map now. So, um, so, so we shouldn't, you know, right. We shouldn't expect any, any uh, wonderful stories. That, That's right. That and
4: people, hard- people need personal motivation. We know that in the free market, free enterprise, to get that opportunity and pursue whatever goal you have. You can't do that in China under this regime because he's about wealth, wealth inter- redistribution.
1: Uh, thanks so much. And Brian, I, I think the final point would be you know, we want free enterprise to win, but it begins with our business leaders doing the right thing. Um, you know, yeah, the day Can they please have ethics and to values? To win. Jonathan Ward,
4: thank you. I look forward to your new book, The Decisive Decade, America's Grand Strategy for Triumph Over China. Thanks so much, Jonathan, and also welcome to WALG AM 1590 in Albany, Georgia. You're now part of the Brian Kilmeade Show Network family of stations. Thanks so much.
3: Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade.
10: President Biden said that he plans to run again in 2024, but won't make a final decision until early next year because it's like his doctor told him, "I wouldn't plan too far ahead."
4: (laughs) Okay, there you go. SNL, mildly funny. Uh, Dave Chappelle, uh, absolutely. I thought he was fantastic. I don't have no problem with him going after everyone from Trump to Republicans to Democrats to Kanye to the cancel culture that tried to uh, get at him again. He says he's getting tired of it. But to me, I think Dave Chappelle is one of the breaking points because you took a guy on the edge and then you made him, you tried to cancel him and his audience would not leave. And wherever he goes, they still are trying to cancel him about some jokes he made about, uh, transgender people that are, that is still up and still a special and still retrievable and still downloadable. And to me, that's the beginning of the end. And the fact is that I'm not sure that this was not a publicity, but let's just assume that the reports are true, that these writers, not actors have decided to boycott Dave Chappelle. I'll tell you what, if it was publicity stunt. I think Dave Chappelle would not know part of it because it doesn't look good for him. Um, I just think that people are done with the whole thing and I'll play some more of that in future hours, but don't forget. Meet me at about one, about twelve o'clock at Clark Crew Barbecue.
3: From the Fox News Radio studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest-growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade.
4: Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here. Thanks so much for listening. Normally, I come to you from 40, 48th and 6th in midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, around the world. Well, I'm heard around the country, around the world. But today, I come to you from Freedom 96.9 in beautiful Oklahoma City, the first time we are carried live in this market. I'm, I'm privileged uh, to be having a big event at the Clark Crew Barbecue, 3510 Northwest Expressway in Oklahoma City, at which time I'll be signing uh, the President of Freedom Fighter. Now and in paperback, brand-new uh, information and uh, and historical facts, including what happened recently in the news with the takedown of uh, the statue of Frederick Douglass in Rochester and the would-be takedown of the monument that Douglass dedicated to Lincoln back in 1875. Uh, so I thought, I'm going to put that in the new book. I was able to meet some great people last night in Tulsa, Oklahoma, about 90 minutes from here. Open up with a nice tribute to the people of Tulsa from Sylvester Stallone, who was great enough to thrill the studio by showing up live on our couch, which was just awesome. He's a star of Tulsa King. And then just thanks to everyone there, and before that was in Brantford, Mississippi. Hope to see everyone December 2nd in Newark, New Jersey, as I continue to be able to talk about all my history books and continue to winning the war on American history, which just seems to have cropped up. In a matter of moments, I'm going to be talking with Michael Goodwin. So let's get to the big three.
3: Now with the stories you
0: need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I hope the president is very clear in drawing red lines. I hope he's very clear about Taiwan, that we will continue to arm Taiwan so it can defend itself. And if China Um, goes for the jugular in Taiwan, then we will come to their aid.
4: That is Tom Cotton uh, talking about a meeting at that point has not had yet, but it lasted three and a half hours. The president, President Xi of China, We'll tell you what the president said went down. Not enough, in my view, but we'll talk about it.
6: Number two. Now he is tearing apart the Republican Party. Since the election, who does he go after? Not Schumer, not Biden, not Pelosi. He goes after DeSantis and Yunke. and that has got to stop.
4: Uh, that is George Pataki saying that Donald Trump is the problem. 2024 will be announced he's going to officially run. He'll do it as early as tomorrow. What does that mean with his massive war chest? And of course, the power. Does he keep the field empty because people fear taking him on? We'll discuss it and review what happened in 22.
9: Number
7: one. The oversight is a primary function of the Congress. And for the last two years, there has, there has been no oversight. Of the Biden agenda. That has to be a focal point of every single committee in the Congress, especially in the House under Republican control.
4: Yes, uh, the House not locked yet. The Senate stays Democrat and Georgia still in play. What does that mean for the next two years? And what can we expect now that Joe thinks his agenda has been green lighted? What does that mean? What will he have the power to do? Let's bring in Michael Goodwin who just wrote a column uh, kind of going after Donald Trump and saying what George Pataki was saying called Boer. Donald Trump is gone and lost his swing we'll discuss that but first things first are you surprised we're at 212 not too past 218 in the house still it looks like california's got about seven races oregon and washington two apiece
11: good morning brian um i am surprised every time we have these drawn-out counts uh i mean i'm old enough to remember when you went to vote and pretty soon afterwards you found out who won I mean, here, it's going to be more than a week in some of these races. It's a little hard to to understand, given how t- you would think technology would have made faster results possible, not slower. Uh, but some of these states seem to have... Uh, created all of these roadblocks to actual counting where you get days to cure your ballot. I mean, what kind of bureaucracy does it take to alert citizens to come in and cure your ballot? I mean, it just – it. it it seems really that they've lost the plot here that you're given an opportunity to vote. And if you don't want to vote, you don't have to. No one's forcing you. But you should be able to do it. You should be able to figure it out. I mean, the ballot is not that complicated that you would need to come in and cure it. I mean, so I, I, my surprise is that this is happening not in just one state, but in several states.
4: Yeah, uh, I mean, right now there are 20 seats yet to be called, roughly. 11 in California, 2 in Colorado, 2 in Oregon, 2 in Washington. Uh, Out of those seats, where Democrats are winning in 10, Republicans are winning in 10, the Republicans winning just need 7. But as we hear, it's going to be very tough. Republicans want to control the House. They'll be able to do the investigations, be able to put their chairman in place. But the other thing that they have is with a slight majority, you know with the Freedom Caucus and other caucuses, there's no saying, you have almost no margin for error. It's hard to believe that they're going to be effectively able to govern, although it's a problem they would like to have uh, because they have border issues as well as spending issues and and investigations to conduct. If people want to know clues to success, believe it or not, Michael, it's where you're located, New York. Mike Lawler, who had the big, one of the biggest victories for Republicans, New York could deliver the House for its party said this about why he was successful, cut five.
0: We're talking about the issues that, frankly, cut across political uh, party. I mean, I focused heavily on inflation, on crime, on energy, on education and immigration, and I never deviated from Mm -hmm. it. And I think, uh, you know, there's a lesson to be learned in a state like New York, uh, which is, you know, deep blue Democrat, and yet we picked up four seats and and are going to have 11 total members. So... It can be done, yeah. but I think a lot of the stuff that's gone on in other parts of the country, we need to get back to being focused on what voters truly care about uh, and what impacts them and their families on a day-to-day basis.
4: And a lot of people are writing, and George Pataki's always been a critic of President Trump, uh, that, it's, that it's Trump's fault. What do you think?
0: Uh,
11: look, uh, I think that Trump the trump blame is right as long as it's specific to what actually happened i mean a lot of people who hate trump are using this opportunity to say he you know he ought to be you know executed because of what he did to the republican party i think the problem with trump is very specific to this issue of the election was stolen and his claim that the election was stolen is is become a burden for people around the country. So when he, ad- when he anoints somebody with his endorsement, uh, that has become a litmus test. Now, he denied to me that that was true, but I, he wasn't telling me the truth. Uh, it is a litmus test. It's a litmus test for him to give an endorsement. And, w- and so, therefore, those people are burdened by that in many swing states. But then beyond that, Brian, he doesn't really help them. When he goes into the state to do a rally, he'll basically have them on stage for two minutes, and they'll get to give a little tiny speech, and that'll be it. It'll be all about him, and the vote was stolen, and and even in the fundraising. Some of those joint fundraising emails, it turns out, that, you know, with Blake Masters, the candidate he uh, picked uh, for the Arizona Senate, uh, uh, Masters got – 1% of each dollar, meaning a penny per dollar, Trump got the other 99 cents of their shared uh, returns. Others were getting 10 cents on the dollar. Meanwhile, Trump is sitting on at least $100 million that he has raised, so he doesn't really help those candidates. I mean, if you've ever, there's a wonderful documentary called Burn the House Down, made several years ago, about how the progressives recruit their candidates and train them. It features Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in the year that she won, and several others who were in that documentary did not win that year, but won in subsequent years. So there's all kinds of candidate training there's all kinds of help. It's not just an endorsement. Uh, it's money. It's support. It's staff. It's everything to get somebody across the finish line. Trump seems to believe that his name, his endorsement is alone enough, and it's not. Uh, so I think that that is the, the particular aspect of him so that You know, when you limit yourself to endorsing those candidates who want to complain about the 2020 election being stolen, you get a Mastriano in Pennsylvania. Now, I think Oz was not a bad Senate candidate in Pennsylvania, but Mastriano got 42 percent of the vote at the top of the ticket. Oz got more than that. But when you have a weak top of the ticket, when you don't give Oz any help, when you don't give him any real money, you get weakness up and down the ticket. So I think, again, Trump still he's still a force within the Republican Party. But it's been sort of like an ice cube. It's melting. And I don't think he's capable, as long as he continues this attack on DeSantis, attack on Youngkin, these, these references to China that sound almost racist, uh, I don't know what he's up to, but it seems to me he's losing whatever goodwill he had. He's, he has hurt the Republican Party now uh, in the Senate in two consecutive elections. It's getting it's getting to be boring. It's getting to be a burden rather than a help to the Republican Party, and I think it's he's become increasingly unpleasant. And I, I just think it's, it's for me personally, it's time to move on.
4: Uh, and we'll, but he's still going to announce Tuesday. It looks like even though almost everybody around him, from uh, reportedly Kaylee McEnany to Corey Lewandowski. Everybody I know says, why are you doing it? It's got to be Herschel first. Pat Toomey came out and says, uh, if fealty to Donald Trump is the primary criteria for selecting candidates, we're probably not going to do really well. And he says that that was the reason why certain picks were made. And, you know, we don't know uh, if Governor Ducey would have been Senator Ducey. We don't know if Governor Sununu would have been Senator Sununu, but they were on the wrong side of President Trump. That plays into it. I'm still cognizant of the fact that people are trying to use that opportunity to jump on Trump.
11: Yes, no, and I think it's good to separate the two things. But again, back to what Toomey said about fealty to Trump. It's not fealty to Trump. It's fealty to the claim that the election was stolen, the 2020. That, I think, is the burden that these candidates cannot bear it just it's not a popular thing it it it's a great rallying cry but it doesn't work people say I don't want to look back. You know, it, we we went through that. We adjudicated that. There was a riot at the Capitol over that. It's looking backwards. It's not looking forwards. And yet, it's a burden for those candidates. And look, I I, I think that uh, he and he and the others are right that Herschel Walker is now. This is going to be an issue for Herschel Walker because it's failed everywhere. You think that you think they're Democrats are going to let Herschel Walker get away with supporting the, the claim about 2020. And I say this, Brian, knowing that there were lots of issues that raised concerns. There's no question, and I think a lot of it had to do with the COVID guard, with the guardrails being removed on mail-in ballots because of COVID. The Democrats were very smart about that. Molly Hemingway wrote a wonderful book about Mark Zuckerberg's role, spending 415 million dollars to help Democrats. I mean, there are lots of issues, but you can't go back and undo it. You you have to move the ball forward. And that's what that's what amazes me about Trump. Everybody tells him this and he will not listen to anybody. He always knows best. Well, I think he's put himself in a box now mm-hmm. and I don't think he's gonna be able to get out.
4: Well it's easy to side with President Trump when it's against Nancy Pelosi but not when it's against DeSantis and Yunkin and Pence. These are great people. Uh and these are people these are very successful people and and Mike Pence is a class act, even if you don't think he'll be a great president. I think he, this guy uh, was as loyal to President Trump as anyone. Glenn Youngkin, you don't see the, the talent in that man. And DeSantis was the the power to emerge for the Republican Party. And a new poll came out and it has DeSantis above Trump. In Trump world, with all these people that have voted for him two or three times and we know him quite well, they're torn up by this.
11: Yeah, look, and, and you know, it, it, as I wrote the other day, it's, it's almost like a thing. He's got to kill any new competitor, right? He, I believe, I mean, he started to slime DeSantis three days before the election. I think he would have been quite happy if DeSantis lost his reelection. I think that would have just said to Trump, I have no competitors. So for him, it's about killing the competitors. It's not about helping the Republican Party. It's all about him now. And that was fine when you did low energy jab and you destroyed Hillary Clinton. But that was a long time ago now. That's a world ago in terms of politics. And I just think that. What DeSantis did in Florida is remarkable. I mean, what he has done—not just in the election, but how he has made Florida such an such an admirable state. I mean, how people are moving to Florida—they want to live in Florida. You don't hear that about New York. You don't hear that about other states. DeSantis is a star. Youngkin is a star. You know, they are the future of the Republican Party. You had a much more diverse group of Republicans wanting—I'm glad John James finally won in Michigan a, a seat in the House after losing both, uh, both Senate races. You have some new blood coming into the party. Yep. Trump can help that, but he only wants to stop it, because he sees it as a personal threat. Yep. And I just think that's the test for a lot of Republicans now. There's a place for Trump, but it's not as the nominee. The place for Trump is as a kingmaker, as somebody to help pick the future, not to stand in the way of it.
4: Because his policies actually look better by the day. There's a book coming out talking about his approach to diplomacy, bypassing the State Department bureaucracy and making progress like never before. Did so many great things. Yes. Um, and well um, I just hope he doesn't announce tomorrow. Uh, Michael Goodwin and, and I don't get up every I, I think everything I just said, I, I stand by. There's a lot of good things, but I think he's overstepping right now and I don't think he realizes it. Michael Goodwin always oh, great. go pick up the New York Post just to read Michael. Don't move. Brian Kilmacho continues from Oklahoma City.
3: a talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
5: The reason why I think DeSantis is so strong is because he can do both things. He can do the performance art that seems to have you so exercise to the base, most of which I don't really know if it's that damaging. He picks a fight with Disney. Does it really affect anybody? I mean, I read the don't-say-gay, which is not the name of the law. They called it the don't-say-gay law. It could have been called the the let's-do-things-in-schools-the-way-we-did-five-years-ago law. It really could have. So what I'm saying is he can do both that, but he yes, he, he knows how to rile up the base. I agree. He's a politician. But he also can be a normal governor. In other words, after the storm, he can stand with President Biden like a normal governor does, and work with them, and then send some migrants to Martha's (laughs) Vineyard. You know, and that's a very powerful thing, to have both those elements.
4: This is why you enjoy listening to the show. You're not going to—Bill Maher is probably not going to persuade you, but the fact he's interesting listening to other sides and able to honestly assess somebody he wouldn't vote for, but understand their appeal, to me, that's a great commentator. And I understand that appeal. I, if you ask me who appeals on the left, who I think would be formidable to Republicans, it would be a guy that's in his 70s, but has got a good resume. And it's Joe Manchin. The question is, does any Democrat feel that way? Brian Kilmeade.
3: A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
9: We learned inflation came down last month. and Mainstream economists are saying this is a really positive sign of the resilience of the economic recovery. It's going to take time to get inflation back to normal levels. We can see setbacks along the way. I realize that. But we are laser focused on it. That's why it's so critical for us to pass important legislation this year to lower those costs for families.
4: Unbelievable. Uh, the president's not laser focused focus on inflation, and he has been mischaracterizing it from day one, but it didn't seem to hurt him that much in the general election, even though only 25 percent of the country think we're on the right track. One thing about us, we're on the right track when we book Susan Lee to come to the studio <laughs> when I'm in Oklahoma City uh susan thanks very much yeah. the, your sound quality is fantastic i appreciate <laughs> you joining studio. us today
2: yeah and you try to stay away from me smart choice i have to say
4: i know but if you want to join me i'll be at <laughs> 3510 northwest expressway in oklahoma city at the clark crew barbecue today
2: oh my goodness i just saw just a horde of fans i think it was a stadium worth that i saw last night lining up to get their Kill Mead autograph so I, th- I think you have enough company where you're where okay you that's good
4: that was tulsa oklahoma <laughs> by the way and you did see that video uh, so, so Susan, you know, me, I don't, I fully don't understand the magic of cryptocurrency. And now I'm glad FT, uh,
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, FTX, uh,
4: FTX is not gone belly up in a way that people are, well, comparing it to Enron. Wow. I want you to hear what Larry Summers just said.
6: I would compare it to uh, Enron, the uh, smartest guys uh, in the room, not just financial error, But certainly from the reports, uh, whiffs of uh, fraud, stadium namings very early in a company's uh, history, vast explosion of wealth that nobody quite understands uh, where it comes from.
4: So how would you explain what's gone on and how much money is actually left
2: yeah. Well, fraud is a word that I've heard all weekend long by the big big cryptocurrency players because you know, I've been looking at this sp- space for a long time. I was at the FTX Bahamas event with the biggest crypto currency companies. You had uh you had Tom Brady, Giselle was there. So it was Tony Blair, and you saw Bill Clinton as well. Everybody believed that this was the next asset class, and this was a company that was going to take us into the future, and just six, seven months later, it's now completely gone bankrupt, and fraud is a word that people are using, because it's not really a Bitcoin and Ethereum problem. This is an FTX, Sam Bankman Freed, SBF, as he's known, that young billionaire who is worth $26 billion at its peak, one of the richest people on the planet, and they're saying that, look, what he did was illegal. You can't use and funnel client funds that are trading on an exchange without telling them, by the way, and then funneling some of that money, a lot of it, billions of dollars into your own personal high-risk hedge fund without disclosing that you're doing that. First of all, that's illegal. And the fact that you hit it makes it – well, it just makes it a fraud. And so hopefully people will get some money back. But if you look at the balance sheet over the weekend, there is virtually no money left in FTX.
4: What caused the implosion and exposure?
2: Well, a lot of things. So this is going to be complicated. And I know you're a smart man, kill me, but stop me if I'm getting too wonky here. What started is that – and I know this is going to go back to the whole tulip reference in cryptocurrency. But FTX use. Their own coin their own self-made coin as collateral in these big two billion dollar loans and when binance one of the world's other big cryptocurrency exchanges says we're going to do a collateral call i want my money back that's when everybody started rushing for the exits and started to sell that FTX owned MakeCoin, and they didn't have the money to back it, and that's when they were in deep trouble, and it really just collapsed, evaporated over four to five days, a bank run, and that's when you realize that there it was an empty shell. There was no actual money where there should have been. He should have kept client funds at FTX and not funnel it to his own personal trading high-risk hedge fund.
4: Okay. Knowing how uh, how shaky my foundation is in crypto, how could you possibly have a monetary uh, of how could you have something masking as money without being backed by money how can you hand people something and tell them one thing and turns out it's not true is that going on with other cryptocurrencies
2: well so yes i've gotten a lot of questions about that how do you Buy Bitcoin and Ethereum. That's not backed by anything. And no, cryptocurrency is not backed by the Federal Reserve. It's not backed by the Treasury. And that's why you have these companies collapsing right now. This is not 2008 because Lehman's had the Federal Reserve to step in. They had Ben Bernanke. In this case, it's buyer beware. You are all on your own. Having said that, I would say FTX as a cryptocurrency exchange is more like the infrastructure and the pipes. It's not Bitcoin. It's not Ethereum. And if there was a total collapse in the markets, because you know some of the people I spoke to over the weekend says that this is probably a great thing for the industry. Get rid of the fraudsters. Shake it out. Get the real businesses still in place. Fund those projects. Because if there was a real collapse, Bitcoin would not be trading at $16,000. Ethereum isn't even trading at the lows for the year if we were actually seeing a collapse here, Bitcoin would go back to pre-COVID levels at about three thousand dollars. So, if there's something to buy in all of this, some would say, you know, the Bitcoin actually held up better than expected.
4: Wow, interesting. So, I heard they had their meetings in Bahamas, a meeting with regulators right now. What are those meetings like? As uh, the as these these uh, CEO these executives try to explain their way out of this. Well,
2: Sam Bankman freed SBF. FTX's founder, the man in the middle of all of this, he was kind of like the poster child for crypto for a long time. And he put himself in that position. You know, Michael Lewis is writing a book on SBF. And I actually met Michael Lewis at the FTX Bahamas event. We were having drinks and I was watching him work and just, you know, talk to people about Sam Bankman-Fried, SBF, how to tell the story. So he actually, so Sam Bankman-Fried, SBF, actually put himself at the center of crypto. He was the face to regulators. Now, the question could be, well, where was the regulation? Why didn't the SEC step in earlier when there, it was a trillion dollar asset class, three trillion actually at its peak, last year, why didn't Janet Yellen just say, "Okay, well, let's find a way to regulate this so that U.S. investors, U.S. holders aren't hurt in any of this if there's a blow up?
4: And the answer is?
2: Well, they would say we need to take things slow. Uh, SBF and FTX were not based in the U.S. They had a a U.S. trading arm, but it it was a much smaller portion of their business. Their headquarters for the entire group was in the Bahamas. Previous to that, it was in Hong Kong. And a lot of this, uh, by the way, a lot of crypto trading is outside of U.S. borders, around 90%. So Janet Yellen, the SEC, also Gary Gensler could say, well, you know, this wasn't really our purview so is there going to be more oversight and does this ignite a lot more regulation? You bet it does, and which I think is probably good for the industry going forward to grow and to mature.
4: Also note how much they've given to Democratic causes. Right. Uh, but also I mean-
2: that was um, a red flag to a lot of people as well. The fact that you had SBF, I think he was one of the largest Democratic donors in the midterms, $40 million plus. He said he was going to probably invest a billion dollars in the 2024 elections. A lot of people in the industry already was wondering why is he trying to put himself as a main person in the main face of this industry? Why is he getting so political? Is it because he needs shields from yes. regulators and politicians so that he doesn't get he doesn't get investigated and if he does there's there's help on the political aisles?
4: And they on isn't isn't that name on the Miami Arena?
2: That is correct. That's a 19-year, $135 million deal. And again, it goes back to that arena stadium naming curse. You, <laughs> do you remember? MC, I don't remember the MCI Center. Do you remember that in sure. Washington? You do. <laughs> and, and, Have,
4: and of course, Enron and Field, Field in Houston. Houston.
2: That's right. And Wachovia Center in Philadelphia. I mean, the list goes on and on. in that whenever a company puts and splashes their name on a stadium, what, you know they are at risk of going under. And Why do they want to do that? So I think there's kind of fans that, uh, that purve- purveying, McCurts, what do you want to call it? Myth?
4: But, no, is this guy broke?
2: Well, he's broke now. He, I, he was worth $26 billion earlier this year. But, you know, there was a hack over the weekend. I mean, the news just gets worse. Not only do they have only, they only had $900 million in liquid assets and cash. They had $6 billion in liabilities. They couldn't pay the liabilities, hence they filed for bankruptcy. But then there was a hack over the weekend. So people stole $400 million from FDX's remaining cash. And it's just uh, the, the story is just getting worse and worse. As uh, Binance's founder, CZ, I'll call him CZ because this is very complicated. He was just on a Twitter space. His 50,000 people were listening in, probably the most attended Twitter spaces I've ever seen. And he called Sam Bankman Freed an outright liar. And he says, you couldn't write a book like this, which is true. I guess fact is always better than fiction. So Michael Lewis
4: probably thought he was telling a success story, and now he's got a better story. But sadly, so many people are out of money because of it. And let's see how many of the power players that invested, from Tom Brady to Bill Clinton to Tony Blair to Giselle, let's see how many run to his side uh, when they found out they've all been duped. Probably none. So what a year Tom Brady's having.
2: (laughs) What? Well, you know, Tom Brady and Giselle, his wife at the time, they actually signed an equity deal with FTX. I don't know the dollar amount. I don't think that was ever disclosed. That means they actually took stock in the company Ugh. instead of cash. So that stock is worthless today. I wouldn't feel too sad for a man that makes, what, $80 million a year from football and other endorsements. He'll be fine. But uh, I feel really bad for those that actually put their money in trust to trade on FTX. And right now, you know, the Enron oversight means that to the guy who actually got back $20 billion from Enron, he's going to be now in charge of this FTX bankruptcy settlement. Hopefully he'll get some money back for those that, that really just entrusted their money into FTX and Sam bankman fried
4: Susan Lee, thanks so much for providing me with that information because I am... Remarkably ill-informed when it comes to crypto, but now I am so glad <laughs> I didn't try to educate myself and get involved.
2: Thank you, Brian. And please come back soon.
4: Yes, I will. I'll okay. be back tomorrow. I'll see you in the elevator. All right. All right. Susan Lee, great job from FBN. When we come back, we find out the magic of seeing uh, a live show with me on stage talking about history with the two people that join me on stage, Pat O'Rourke and Rick Thatcher. Uh, and also keep in mind, I am uh, in Oklahoma City today at Freedom 96.9. Oklahoma's Talk Radio. I'm going to be uh, the Brian Kilmeade show is going to be now aired live for the first time for three straight hours. So, we're to kick it off. I'll be doing a big event at Clark Crew Barbecue, 3510 Northwest Expressway, signing the President of Freedom Fighter now out on paperback and already a bestseller. Thanks for listening to the Brian Kilmeade show.
3: Diving deep into today's top stories. It's Brian Kilmeade. <laughs> The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade.
12: Well, everyone, Democrats have retained control of the Senate. I, uh, I, I don't know if that's really official, but we're not a real news program, so I, I'm just going to call it. Um, I was actually surprised they won, given President Biden's low approval ratings. I guess Biden's kind of like the Jurassic World movies, you know, extremely successful despite a 42 percent rating. <laughs> Uh, that was mildly funny on SNL over the
4: weekend, uh, Dave Chappelle really made the big news with his uh, opening up in Kanye, Kyrie, and Donald Trump, believe it or not, so that was the story. But the real story over the weekend was I had a chance to go to uh, Brandon, Mississippi as well as have a chance to appear last night a few hours ago in Tulsa Oklahoma this morning got up was able to come to ninety six nine studios oklahoma 's talk radio freedom oklahoma 's talk radio freedom ninety uh, six nine is the way it goes. A little bit later on today i 'll be signing the president and freedom fighter at 3510 Northwest Expressway at Clark crew barbecue, helping me out for the last two years, really uh, doing the live show on stage, which is different than anything else. A chance to take on the war on history is Pat O'Rourke and Rick Thatcher. They have one thing in common. You've known me for far too long. And for that, I've uh, asked you to follow me on the road to Oklahoma. So Pat, give every, Pat O'Rourke and Rick Thatcher are here, Pat, give everybody an idea. If they come to watch us, Go at it, an all-American night on stage. What do people see? What do what do people come away with?
7: Uh, a history lesson on acid, I guess. So that, it's, that's it's, not it's true. Basically, it's uh, you get the, you get some comedy, you get some skits, you get Brian's uh, talking about all of his books, all all, all the bestsellers he's had. Uh, you get a question and answer at the end. You get book signings. It's just a, it's a whirlwind right. of. Uh, you definitely need your fruits and veggies uh, on a weekend with Brian Kilmeade. You're right. going all over the place.
4: Uh, Pat, uh, Pat is an outstanding stand-up comedian. Uh, you'll see him everywhere, especially in New York. But I'm just the one who would giving Oklahoma a shot at you. Tulsa got a chance to see you. Brand, uh, uh, Brandon, Mississippi got a shot at you.
0: Southern Hospitalities, they're so nice. It's such how, a real how nice thing. It's, oh, my God. Right right away, they're laughing at everything. They're quiet. They listen. They don't heckle. It's right. unbelievable. But
4: it, what, Don't you wish your house was like that? No one listens. They're heckling
0: nonstop. I wish New York was like that. That's Absolutely. Right. Wish, yes.
4: And, Rick, yeah. you handle the MC duties uh, from your days at Newhouse. Uh, you've, you've been on the air in and out of radio and TV. We used to do a show together. But we, we've been out with the live studios. What has it been like for you to meet all these people in all these different cities?
12: I tell you what, when we have people come out, and it never astounds me that nice people find nice people and great people find right. great people. And uh, I shouldn't be surprised at the people that show up and welcome you, welcome Fox, welcome the message, and welcome the passion. Uh, Because I've been on, you know, not even working uh, tours with you down south and and all across the country, but especially for these events, people come out and it's just a general surrounding, uh, just a feeling of togetherness and warmth and and love for the country. Right.
4: People, are into red, white, and blue, they want to feel uh, good about the country again. I think it's being run down, so this is like the counter-message but the next time is December 2nd in Newark, New Jersey. Now, I know we have not, re- as of right now, like Aaron Judge, we have not met your contract demands. So if, <laughs> in, in hypothetically, uh, if this does, in fact, come together, Pat, do you think this is a show that people should see in the New, in the new York greater area?
7: I definitely do, but I, I, I can't commit totally. Like you said, we're still negotiating. <laughs> and I've stopped following the Brian Kilmeade show. So. Right, until, until
5: further notice. That's about it. I've been told not to talk about
4: it. So what what I've been trying to do, and I stole this from Mike Rowe, I watched his Six Degrees show, and I said I watched the way he goes in and out of time travel, through green screen and sometimes through actors. You guys are the actors. And we go through moments in time in the George Washington Secret Six, the spy moment when Nathan Hale was given an assignment. We go through the moment Sam Houston, after getting shot, has to deal with Santa Ana. We go through the moment with the Triple E Pirates, the first war on terror. Where we have a situation where you decide that we're going to have a well, how would you describe it?
12: I would just say that through through your experience and your writing of these books, and we were there for most you of the... You make up a little yeah, yeah. skit. We took we took the uh, the limited uh, budget for for costumes.
7: How much and, is and, the, how much uh, did you spend? Uh, it's a little over forty dollars. We could <laughs> <we can, laughs> yeah. do four costume uh-huh. changes uh-huh. and we can fit everything into a gym bag. It's so right?
4: similar to the SNL budget. Yes.
12: Yeah. But uh, it went f- far away of two wigs, a couple of costume changes. And to go through those periods of history within about, it seems like <laughs> about a half hour of costume changes in the back. And we're getting better at it. Well, there's a lot of that character looks like just, the, just like the character in the last Very similar. It's right. the same outfit.
4: So we recreate Thomas Jefferson having a meeting with William Eaton. You know Jefferson. You don't know Eaton, but you will by the end of the show. William Eaton is half Rock, half Sylvester Stallone, half Rambo, half, what's the new uh, Black Pearl, is it? Was it? Was the new hit movie that uh, Dwayne Black Panther? No, no, not Black Panther. Black Tulsa
12: King. <laughs> We're in Tulsa, right? What is
4: Dwayne Allison? I guess the, the iPhone. Can not we look this up? I didn't what know there was the going to be a trivia contest. Yeah, come on, well, I'm saying it is. He's like an action hero, William Eaton. Yes. So we recreate that moment?
12: Yes. And I and I embody. I think that was the first one that we did was right. William Eaton and Thomas Jefferson, and really needed to uh, embrace the character, but. More of it for the appreciation that we have now that we're actually acting it out. Uh, each time we would come and just sit behind the scenes and listen to Brian's presentation of these stories. Right. Now to be in the stories, it's given us even more right. appreciation right. of what uh, what went on back there. In the for the record, is the Black Adam? You guys were Black no Adam. Help.
4: You're supposed to be a team. I wouldn't. I, mean, have I have wouldn't have guessed that in a
7: million years. I, I'm don't sorry. you ever
4: check the movie listings at all?
12: So <laughs> went
7: I have kids. They watch that. <laughs>
4: all right. So listen, Rick and Pat. Next time I see you will be in the car. December but next time we'll see you on stage be. yes. And the New Jersey Performing Arts Center. Yes. As long as, as we, we get those demands,
12: you know. It better happen. Yeah, absolutely.
3: From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so
4: much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. Normally coming to you from Midtown Manhattan, uh, but now today it's our privilege to be with Freedom 96.9 in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma's talk radio. They're carrying us live for three hours. We're doing a special event uh, coming up shortly in about two hours at the 3510 Northwest Expressway, Oklahoma City, over in Clark Crew Barbecue. Governor Bataki cannot attend this event. He's in New York, upstate New York, and I don't hold him to it. So, therefore, we're not keeping a reservation for him. He'll be joining us in a matter of moments uh, this hour. And then we're going to be joined in studio by Senator James Lankford from Oklahoma uh, and get his take on his party once again not having the power in the Senate. So, let's get to the big three.
0: Now, with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's big three. Number three. I hope the president is very clear in drawing red lines. I hope he's very clear about Taiwan, that we will continue to arm Taiwan so it can defend itself. And if China goes for the jugular in Taiwan, then we will come to their aid.
4: Well, they had the meeting already. It lasted for three and a half hours. I'll play some cuts and get Governor Pataki's take on it. China and the U.S. head to head, face to face. We'll see what it means for our relations.
10: Number two.
6: Now he is tearing apart the Republican Party. Since the election, who does he go after? Not Schumer, not Biden, not Pelosi. He goes after DeSantis and Yunke. And that has got to stop.
4: That is Governor Bataki, our next guest, 2024. Trump one day away from announcing another run. What does his massive war chest mean for the rest of the field? The country. And are are they going overboard blaming 45 for the failures in 22?
8: Number one,
7: oversight is a primary function of the Congress. And for the last two years, there has, there has been no oversight of the Biden agenda. That has to be a focal point of every single committee in the Congress, especially in the House, under Republican control.
4: Congressman Jim Banks saying there's going to be some oversight, but at the risk of being nothing but a cop, is that going to play well for 2024? House not locked up yet. The Senate stays Democrat and Georgia is still in play. What does that mean for the next two years, and what can we expect now that Joe thinks his agenda has been green-lighted for two more years? Here with some analysis, Governor George Pataki, the last Republican governor of New York. Governor, welcome back. Great to see you. First off, your take on Joe Biden saying that he basically is not going to change a thing for the first uh, from his first two years.
8: Well, uh, Brian, thanks for having me on. And I think that's just tragic if he doesn't change. You know, you should learn from your mistakes, Uh, whether it's the border, the economy, our energy industry. uh, So many things he's just done wrong. And the fact that we can only expect more of the same for the next two years is just very disappointing. He should know better than that.
4: For the longest time, New York was not a focus on the national scene because we knew exactly where it was going to go. But, Governor, as a Republican governor, you must look around and say, finally, Lee Zeldin, a legitimate candidate, 47% of the vote. He seems to have helped flip five seats in New York, and that might be the difference in the House. Your reaction?
8: It was a a very good day in New York, not in the country, sadly, but in New York. But even in New York, it was disappointing that Lee Zeldin didn't win. He ran an excellent campaign. Uh, We have a state where crime is through the roof. We're number one in losing population. Uh, The government is obviously a failure. uh, And yet uh, the Democrat was reelected. And I think it's just uh, tragic. Lee was a great candidate. He came close. We did win. House seats that hopefully will make the difference and put Republicans in the majority. But I wish we had won the governorship. And the main reason we didn't, to be honest, Brian, you saw the commercials. The rest of the country didn't see the commercials. All the opposition, all the Democrats ran was uh, Zeldin and Trump, and they used Trump to defeat him. And that's tragic.
4: Well, uh, do you think that would have been the case with any Republican, being that Republicans are outnumbered uh, two or three to one?
8: No, I think uh, if if Zeldin hadn't been tied down with the Trump baggage, I think a Republican and I think Lee Zeldin would have won. Lee did very well. Uh, And the only thing the Democrats really had to use against them. Uh, was the fact that he was a Washington Republican who was close to Trump and uh, uh that was all their ats you know they had nothing positive to say because they haven 't done anything positive and it's just it 's really sad he came close enough that we did win all those House seats, and that is the bright side and I think we the Republicans have a very bright future in New York, but tragically nationally, we lost too many races. I think in large part because a lot of the candidates were tied down by the Trump baggage in places, whether it's New Hampshire, right. Pennsylvania, Arizona. Uh, and we have to look forward.
4: But I would say abortion is the other issue. They mischaracterize abortion as if Lee Zeldin was going to come in and go to a zero weeks. That wasn't the case. And, and Zeldin came back with an ad, but they almost became cartoon-like uh, by the end. I couldn't believe this. $76 billion was spent on ads this cycle and to really do not much in the big scheme of things in terms of changing the vote around uh you know excuse me 7.6 billion dollars in ad spending i've never seen anything like it
8: i haven't seen anything like it either you know brian you just turn on the tv uh and uh you see a little bit of show but a lot of ads and they were almost all political ads and as you said uh Ultimately, the outcome hasn't been that different from it was before the election. But uh, one of the sad things is in that so many of these races, the Republican was outspent two, three, four. Uh, In in New Hampshire, I think the Republican was outspent 12 to one. And, uh, you know, the Democrats always campaign about dark money. They're the masters of it. And they just poured it into these races.
4: They did. And how do you feel about different people pouring money into different races? For example, Trump did not pour enough money in to back his candidates. What about the Mitch McConnell' backing Murkowski when a Republican was going to get that seat pulling money from Blake Masters, not backing Bulldog at all? What significance does that have?
8: Well well I think the main take a look at Trump. I think he had three hundred million dollars and he spent thirty. Uh, and he was responsible for a lot of the nominees, and yet he wouldn't spend the money to help them. I think McConnell, by and large, did a tremendous job pouring whatever money their Senate Republicans had into all these races. Uh, I understand Alaska. There's a personal relationship. Murkowski worked with him uh, during her time in the Senate. So, uh, I, sure, it's appropriate to critics criticize everyone uh, when you don't win. But I think uh, the main problem here was the baggage of Trump. Uh, and we're... We're going to win in 2024 if we look forward. We have great people like DeSantis and Young King and others out there who would trounce whoever the Democrat is, and certainly Biden if he runs again. Uh, but we have to look forward. We can't be continually looking over our shoulder uh, about uh, talking about the 2020 elections or Donald Trump or who he's criticizing today. Let's focus on criticizing the Democrats who are leading this country in the wrong direction and win in two years. So
4: I want you to hear the, they had a three-and-a-half-hour meeting between President Biden and President Xi.
9: Uh, I want you to hear the some of the things they brought up. Uh, cut 35 at COP 27 in Egypt. I made it clear that thanks to the bold agenda of our administration, we pursue from day one to tackle the climate crisis and advance energy and security at home and around the world. The United States will meet. The United States will meet our emissions targets under the our targets under the Paris Agreement, and we're going to keep working with our partners to support the most vulnerable countries in building resilience to climate impacts and to uh, align global ambition with the 1.5 degrees Celsius goal while supercharging our clean energy transition. So he brought that up to a country that can't build coal plants uh, fast
4: enough and have contracts for the next 20 years. Now, they do have solar panels. Yeah, they do have electric cars. They are looking into hydrogen, but they have no interest in complying with this. I mean, how do you explain this
8: focus? Uh, Brian, this is just absolutely hideous. Uh, uh, China builds more coal plants each year than we have operating in the United States. And Biden is bragging about his energy transition. His energy transition, shutting down the U.S. uh, oil and gas industry, means that Germany and other countries are going back to using coal, and not just uh, hard coal, lignite, soft coal, that is the worst polluter uh, on the planet. China, India, Malaysia, Germany, other European countries are turning to coal because they can't get access to American natural gas because of what Biden has done to our energy industry. It's just it's just if you look beyond his talk and look at the reality of what is happening, it's just horrible. I mean, here we have an American president who goes to Venezuela and Iran and asks them to drill more oil because he shut down oil in America. And uh, as he proudly said in Pennsylvania, no drilling, no drilling. Well, the consequence is that we have more coal and we need to rely on places like Iran and Venezuela for oil. So if you ask me, his climate policy is an abject failure. But of course, he thinks everything he does is great. And he'll just continue to say that. I just wish, Brian, we had more people like you. Uh, willing to tell the other side of the story to the American people because they're, if they heard both sides, they'd understand how horrible Biden's policies have been.
4: And listen, if if there was a Joe Manchin as president, if there was a Harold Ford—I don't know how well you know him as president—I'd be able to praise the the issues I agree with. Joe Manchin, I agree with him a lot of the way. There used to be a time where you just have to study issues to find where you stand. But it seems to me, are you pro-criminal? Or are you pro-law uh, enforcement? It seems to be. are you pro-doing everything possible to get gas prices down? Or do you want to go sign up to the religion of climate change? where well, these guys in private jets are trying to tell us how to run our lives. It seems to me, and you lived it, it seems to me the issues are separating this country because the focus seems to be not in America's interests. We're not doing what's in our country's interests anymore. Have things changed, or am I just more aware?
8: Oh, I think, uh, Brian, things have changed. Uh, you're right. You know, it used to be that the American president advocated for the American national interest. Now we have, uh, since Obama, uh, Obama and Biden both see it more as they're globalists than the American leader. And that's why, you know, we shut down our energy industry. It hurts our country uh, because they think it's helping the world, but in reality, it's not. Uh, so that's point one. And point two is we now have a rabid ideological left. That didn't exist 20 years ago. And things like climate change, instead of having an intelligent discussion and an orderly understanding that you need natural gas as a transition as uh, the next generation technologies arrive, uh, oh no, you have to do it today. And it's not because they're practical or looking at it in in an intelligent way, they're looking at it in an ideological way. It's black or white. And most of the things in, in, life, in life are yeah. great, somewhere in between. So not, it's very different, Brian. We have
4: a yeah, left. Yeah, we don't need policy papers anymore. It is almost cartoonish in the way we approach things. So, Governor, what do you think? I look at Lee Zeldin. I see the, the run he had, but he did lose. He doesn't have that congressional seat. There's talk of him running the RNC if Ronda McDaniel move over. How do you feel about that?
8: Oh, I think Lee would be tremendous as the RNC chair. You know, he has he has the Washington experience. Uh, uh, he he has held public office, uh, and a lot of the political figures uh, uh, who uh, are in places like uh, party chairs have never run for political office. And he has a national following because he developed a lot of. Uh, respect during the course of his run for governor. So I think he has the practical sense, the political sense, and and the national awareness so that he would be a very good, effective, conservative Republican national chair who would have that pragmatic uh, ability to elect us, uh, elect Republicans across the country.
4: Absolutely. So Trump announces tomorrow. You do not look forward to that and you think it's bad for the party.
8: I think it's very bad for the party. I think we're going to be looking backwards again. And, you know, he, Trump goes after uh, Youngkin. He goes after Zelden He goes after McConnell. He should be, a Republican should be going after Biden and his horrible policies, going after Pelosi and Schumer. I mean, Schumer is gloating about how he defeated a divisive Republican Party when he spent over $50 million in Republican primaries nominating the most extreme candidates. And, and, and yet, instead of us uh, having a leader Uh, out there criticizing Schumer. We have Trump out there criticizing our rising next generation stars. It's got to stop. We've mm got to look forward. If we do, we're going to win.
4: So I just got to also thank you to your fellowship that you put together. You asked me to speak there with John Casamitidis and you on a panel, which was a thrill to be able to talk uh, to these great students that are, that are part of your program was great and encouraging for the next generation. Uh, And I never get to hang out in New York city. You gave me an excuse. Thanks governor.
8: Uh, Brian, I'll tell you, your presentation uh, on Lincoln and Douglas was absolutely brilliant. We've had a lot of these fellowship seminars. Yours was by far the best. I can't thank you enough.
4: Well, thanks again, Governor. And oh, you're always welcome on our show. I'll talk to you soon.
8: Thank you, Brian. Take care. You, you got
4: it. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. 408 7669 When we come back, I'll take your calls. And then in studio, Senator James Langford, because we're in Oklahoma City. Freedom six nine Don't move.
3: Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with
0: Brian Kilmeade. It would be preposterous to hold elections before we even know that we have a senator from Georgia or who our senator from last is going to be. You know, we need to do a real assessment of, of what went wrong. You know, the last two years we had, as you put up on in, in, in a graphic there, we had a number of our colleagues join Democrats, uh, spending like uh, drunken sailors. We need to have thorough discussions internally. And as I w- talked to my colleagues before I left town, if I survived re-election, we need a different governing model for our conference that's far more collaborative, that is more business-like. And by the way, one thing
4: about Ron Johnson, he's got that business background. He said if I won, he did win by one point for six more years. And he said, I want. I think it's ridiculous to have a vote on Wednesday for leadership when you know for sure now you're in the minority. With me in studio, Senator James Langford. Uh, last time we were in Tulsa, Senator, you were there, and we come in Oklahoma City. The great news are carrying us live now, Oklahoma's Talk Radio Freedom 96.9, and you've agreed to come in. Thank you for that. I'm glad to. Your response to Senator Ron Johnson on why we're vote, why you're voting on Wednesday.
13: Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what the what changes between this Wednesday and let's say three Wednesdays from now in the conversation. Other than we may know at that point who the senator is going to be from Alaska, and we may know who the senator is going to be from Georgia at that point. But they're not going to be the swing vote unless Herschel Walker is running for leadership ah, uh, at this don't point. Don't think so. And, and running for it, there, there's nothing changes in that because you've got at this point. 49 Republicans. Man, we hope for that 50th Republican uh, to be coming in. That is a lot. uh, It does matter a lot uh, to be coming from Georgia. And if anyone wants to get involved in helping Team Herschel, go teamherschel.com. Go go help him in every way that we possibly can on that. We need to be able to have that. But quite frankly, the House is having their leadership elections. They don't have all the House seats that are done at this point. The Senate's having their leadership elections. They don't have all of it. That's the way it is every two years. Nothing has changed on that. What, what where Ron is completely right is we've got to change how we do leadership. We need to have a very blunt conversation of the direction of our conference, how we can get involved, how we can actually move things, What they call through regular order, uh, where more members have engagement, where there's less time, where it's just in the leadership uh, caverns. And it actually comes out where everybody can actually so have it. You that feel open like debate. you're
4: being dictated to far too much.
13: Uh, not necessarily dictated to, but uh, I end up often at the end, of, especially at the end of the year, you end up being a voter rather than a legislator, uh, in the sense that you don't get an opportunity to be able to actually say what's in the bill. We get handed a 2,000-page bill a few hours before we actually vote. I, I'm not a voter; I'm a legislator but, in but that role. You
4: will not have control of that in a minority, correct?
13: That's correct. And so you've got a minority leader that does change a lot on this as well, rather than majority leader. But we should, still, we, we should still have a defining process of how we're going to actually negotiate with Schumer.
4: All right, here's Rick Scott. Same thing. Cut 15.
0: Well, first off, it doesn't make any sense. What is our plan? Why, what are we running on? What do we stand for? What are we hell-bent to get done? What we, you know, you know, there's no plan to do that. The leadership in the Republican Senate says, "We well, know you cannot have a plan. We're just going to run against how bad the Democrats are. And actually, then they cave into the Democrats. They want to rush so that, through an election a, because—
4: he wants
13: to see the agenda. Yeah, and, and, and it's yeah, reasonable. That's
4: clear. You actually don't know why the delay. So does Rick Scott help you define that more?
13: No. I, I, again, we're still in the same spot. Uh, I, I don't know why, what it gains us with the delay on this. Yes, we need to have that blunt conversation. But let's have it right now. There's no reason to have it three weeks from now. Let's have it right now. Let's have it today and tomorrow. Uh, the Senate will be in session tonight and then all day tomorrow. Let's have it right now.
4: Thanks, Senator.
3: Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
9: You know, I'm actually going to support Mitch. I think Mitch kind of pulled the chestnuts out of the fire for candidates who, for whatever reason, were having a difficult time raising the money that, that, as you pointed out, was required to have a winning campaign. Uh, and I think um, uh, uh, going forward, Mitch will be our leader. But that is not to say that we're not going to have a necessary debate about ideas. And I think it's, it's, it's very, again, one more time, important for us to explain to the American voter why Republicans have a better vision for the future
6: of our country.
4: All right. That was uh, Senator Bill Cassidy, the doctor from Louisiana, saying, yeah, they'll have a vote on Wednesday. I'll vote for them, But I do understand you need a direction. We're privileged to have with us in studio Oklahoma Senator James Langford. Uh, and in about uh, about an hour, I'll be a car crew barbecue, 3510 Northwest Expressway in Oklahoma City because we're on Freedom 96.9 Center. So, Bill Cassidy, I just want to close out this thought because you came in an extra segment just to uh, he basically says Mitch McConnell is going to get my vote. But we do have to have a talk about a vision. Do you think after the vote, people will, uh, Mitch will listen to you about a change?
13: I, th- I think he will listen. We, we now realize that Mitch is going to be the minority leader rather than majority leader that does matter a lot. So we're talking about what's the opposition, what's he going to push back on, the set of ideas where Rick Scott was saying before, we need to know what the central ideas are, what we're going to actually fight for tooth and nail. I think those are all things to, good to clarify. You, you, we, we can't just do elections saying we're going to beat somebody. We have to win. And the winning is a win of a set of ideas, to be able to lay out a set of ideas and say, this is the direction we're going to go. So it's not enough to just oppose. We've got to also articulate what the clear message is. And that's got to get out. By the way, this is not a a Mitch McConnell problem. Everybody's trying to be able to lay all the issues on 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 Mitch McConnell. McConnell. Well, yeah, they're trying to lay it all out there on that. There's a whole cornucopia, if I can say that, of ideas of things that are out there. And problems that we have, we've got to be able to help articulate these. We have the right ideas that turned around, but we've got literally 21% of the American people think that we're on the right track. 21% of the American people. So the whole country sees this and goes, there's a problem. Republicans have a responsibility to step up and say, there's a better way to do this. Right. Do You don't think they did. I don't think that came across well. I, did, did I think, you think, I think going we, into
4: Election Day they did, and now you're just looking at the results and saying, I hear you?
13: Well, I, I wasn't in every race across the entire country, so it's hard to be able to tell. Every race in every state is different, and obviously people look at the Senate, and they see one thing. But we also look at the House. We barely won the House if we win it. It's, I mean, it's, it's, right? it's still it's It's still undetermined who actually won the House on this, uh, but we should have blown out in the House. We should have won the Senate on this. Uh, so, But we didn't. So this is not just a McConnell question. This is a leadership question across all where we are as Republicans, how we articulate what we're articulating, because Americans don't think we're on the right track, but they're looking for somebody to give that clear vision.
4: So 20 uh, seats, when I started the show, anyways, 20 seats were open yet to be called, 11 in California, two in Colorado, two in Oregon, two in Washington. Uh, in the 20 uncalled races, it looks like the Democrats right now lead in 10 of the 20, and the Republicans need just seven to get the majority. I was stunned to see that $7.6 billion was spent on just ads
7: yeah.
5: this
4: election cycle, and nothing much moved. Yeah. I mean, you were five seats down in the House, flat 50-50 in the Senate, and you're 50-49 right now with one left to go. And if it's 50-50, it tilts with the vice president, but it puts Joe Manchin, the most powerful senator, and Kristen Cinema once again.
13: Yep, it sure does. And what's interesting is I'll have people that will catch me and say, Washington, D.C. is so divided. I was like, come on. The whole country's divided on this right now. We just had this major election. We had a major election two years ago. We're in almost the exact same spot that we have been in the last couple of years because Americans are very divided on some of these issues and we've got to actually sit down and actually come to some resolution and solve these things.
4: Everyone knows you're pro-life.
13: Right. If they so, don't, they should right now. I am very pro-life. True. Yeah.
4: So Lee Elden's running and Marco Rubio's running in state. that isn't. Right. And he said, Margaret Ruby said, I'm pro-life, but right now in my state, I think he says uh, 15 weeks. And then same thing with Lee Zeldin. But they still label both men as people that pro-life are going to take your abortion rights away. Right. Whatever you think about that issue, that issue was so, pro, so dominant for Democrats, they rode that to getting a young vote and maybe saved a lot of seats. What is the right message for Republicans who are happy Roe v. Wade was overturned?
13: Yeah, so let me let me start with $400 million was sent by, uh, spent by the pro-choice folks just on television ads to be able to press out a pro-abortion message across the country. They spent $400 million. So there's a lot that was actually pressed in that area. There wasn't a lot spent on the pro-life side because the pro-life side looks at this very simply and says a child is valuable. I don't think a child is disposable. I think every child is valuable. So the, the key part of the argument, though, is going to be state to state. There's going to be different issues. That's a different argument here than it is in New York. I think we should begin with the most basic of things. We don't agree with late-term abortions. We've got a viable child. What that's is late in the, term? And that's going to be the, the struggle to be able to find that out. Uh, but we as a country years ago came in and said, we don't agree with partial birth abortion. That used to be a practice in America where the children were almost delivered <laughs> except for their head, and then they were then destroyed. Very late-term abortions. We as a country said, nope, that's a bad idea. We need to step back on this and say, what about late-term abortions, where we've got a fully viable child that's there uh, to be able to go through? Now, I believe a child is a child from the moment of conception. I'm going to try to protect every single child. Just because a child is small doesn't mean they're not valuable. I think every child is valuable. And so I think we need to have this argument, have this conversation about children. But let's start with the areas where we have common ground and where most Americans have common ground is the area about, okay, late term abortions. We don't agree with that.
4: I I don't want to minimize the argument and life and death. I get it. Yeah. But let me just tell you the counter to that. They say the same mindset with people saying, don't make me get a vaccine. Don't make me wear a mask is don't you tell me what I can and can't do. Don't you make a medical procedure illegal for me? Right, you hear that argument.
13: I do hear that argument. What do you, do, what do, you do with it? There's also two people in that argument, uh, so one adult can actually speak out, and the child can't speak out. And so, we as a culture have a responsibility for, to be able to protect is, children. Is every that, way that what we can. you
4: would? That's is that Senator Langford talking? It is, or is that Senator Langford talking as if you were party chairman? saying this is our message to be successful in 2024.
13: So our our message to be successful in 2024, uh, to me, is a straightforward issue about what are we doing with late-term abortions. Gotcha. And every single state's got to determine this. We have to determine this nationally, what we're going to do with late-term abortions. We've got to be able to determine locally what's going to actually happen in abortion in every area. You're going to have Mississippi's going to say 14 weeks, You're going to have Oklahoma is going to say, no, we're going to protect every single child. You're going to have other states like Indiana that they've already voted and said, hey, we're protecting rape and incest. uh, But after six weeks, uh, we're not going to do abortions here. California is going to do abortions up to three seconds before delivery. Uh, So it's different across the entire country, but we're going to end up having this national debate on this to be able to say, okay, who thinks children are valuable and who thinks some children are disposable and some children are valuable? Let's have that conversation.
4: Tell me about Oklahoma because in talking to a lot of people in Tulsa last night, uh, cops are a problem. Uh, They can't get enough cops. Uh, They're they're asking people to stay on longer and give more overtime. That's like everywhere. But I didn't hear a lot of people talking about crime being very high. Is crime not a big issue here? Is fentanyl a big issue here?
13: Fentanyl is a big issue here. Methamphetamine is a big issue here. We're always trying to be able to recruit uh, more police officers. We're grateful to folks that step into that profession, and we celebrate those folks in Oklahoma to say we're really grateful for what you're doing and how you're doing it. But it is still a challenge for us. Now, we do have some folks that are moving to Oklahoma that are law enforcement in other states that they're not being recognized. In fact, they're being isolated, and so they're moving to Oklahoma. We're literally picking up out-of-state police officers that are moving here, and we're grateful for those folks. But we need to continue to be able to actually enforce crime. We, we have different challenges in Oklahoma and in Tulsa, in particular with some of the legal issues uh, that are out there, but we celebrate the folks that are in law enforcement.
4: Is Senator, uh, tomorrow, uh, Senator Langford? Uh, excuse me, yeah, tomorrow, uh, Joe, uh, President Trump is going to announce he's running again in 2024. Are you glad?
13: Uh, he said he's making a big announcement. We'll see what that is. All of us assume it is that. let so, it is. So far, he has just said, I got a big, big announcement. And those folks that want to be able to come to Mar-a-Lago to, to, to be able to hear it is, we'll see. Uh, Republicans are going to have this big debate on it. Uh, there's a lot of folks that have stepped out and said, hey, Trump jumped into some of these races uh, and it affected some of the outcome of some of these races. Quite frankly, this is why you have primaries. I think we should have more voices. I think we should have more people. So he's
4: one of the voices.
13: He'll, he'll be one of the voices that will be out there, regardless whether he chooses to run or not. He's going to be a major voice uh, in, in the Republican politics for a very long time, and that's a good thing to be able to have his voice out there. At the end of the day, though, as a party— We're going to have to argue what's the policy, what's the way we actually uh, portray this policy. I mean, I I talk to people all the time in Oklahoma that say, I really love Ronald Reagan. He had very similar policies, but he was jovial in the way that he did that. And in his reelect, he won 49 states. I mean, we just lose track of that. A conservative Republican winning 49 states across the country uh, with uh, policies that were very pro-defense, that were very pro-life, that were very outspoken about education, that were very confrontational about how we need to turn the economy around. But he did it in a jovial way. And I hear a lot of people saying, hey, I want somebody with those policies that doesn't have that same caustic edge. It goes back to whether we need to win or we need to beat somebody. Uh, we're still trying to decide as Republicans whether we want to beat down the other side or we want to win people over. If I can say it this way, whether we're trying to make co- converts or whether we're trying to burn heretics.
4: Good good analogy. Governor Pataki, you did run against Trump and has been a critic of him in the past, but... Uh, A lot of people are saying this to me when I open up the phones on the radio on Friday. Cut the ray.
6: Now he is tearing apart the Republican Party. Since the election, who does he go after? Not Schumer, not Biden, not Pelosi. He goes after DeSantis and Junkin. And that has got to stop. And the only way it stops... Is if we don't talk about him anymore, we talk about open borders. We talk about our energy industry being devastated. We talk about inflation. We talk about the problems we have uh, all across. So this you get country. where he's going with
4: this, I do. And, and you've heard that and I, I do. For the first time since I've had this show, people were calling up saying I voted for him twice, but when he went after DeSantis and Youngkin and. That was a bridge too far.
13: Yep, I get it. Now I hear that about half the folks in Oklahoma think Trump is is it. He's the one answer. And about half of them say, man, I really liked his policies, but I wish someone else would run and uh, what did our, that our, come
4: into play now no that,
13: that that's been growing the past year that that's not been just suddenly and i don't know what that would be now post election but in the past year i've heard that more and more and more across my state in oklahoma and again there's the people are, appreciate what he did for the country appreciate how he enforced the borders appreciate what he did for our energy independence appreciate what he did in the economy uh, people really appreciate those things but they say man he's just grown so caustic it's hard to win more people over you got to win independence you got to get people to engage. And quite frankly, in every election, if just two or three percent of Republicans just don't vote and just decide I'm not going to vote, then, Can't re- then Republicans can win. So you've got to have somebody that's going to bring all Republicans to actually vote. And everybody's going to be engaged in this. So again, this is why you do primaries, so you can actually have this dialogue. So bring it on. But I would tell you, we go back to the Senate conversation. As soon as the elections are over, everybody's immediately attacking McConnell or immediately attacking uh, uh, Kevin McCarthy and saying, "Okay, they're the problem." I'm like, "Hold on, <laughs> <laughs> okay, you, you can't just start attacking other Republicans and say this is going to be the issue. We've got to actually try to figure out how we are going to be able to win people over in a winsome way."
4: Uh, I just wish it was, it's so strange is that you guys, not you, but Republicans, and Democrats, House members, and Senate should know how it works better than anybody else. Should you got to form teams? Well, it's not exactly what I want, but I'm going to form it later. Later, Senator Langford's going to go along with me on something. But you can't. You don't even have either side, even Repu- Democrats too, for the first time. Cinema uh, and Mansion saying, "Okay, we need to get this passed." They don't. It's as if they don't understand the rules. It's not about you, but you're saying the Senate, the House, is going to be really hard to govern with just a two or three or four yeah. person majority. When we come back. We'll have final thoughts for Senator Lankford. We're here in Oklahoma City. We came to him, and then he came to us. 96.9, Freedom 96.9, uh, in just uh, about an hour, right? About an hour, I'm going to be at the Clark Crew Barbecue. I hope it's good. Yeah, you're going to love it. It's really good. The President Freedom Fight. I'll be sounding it there and maybe squeeze in some lunch. Back in a
3: moment. Newsmakers and newsbreakers, hear it first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions, hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: Yeah, it's a very really difficult moment. You know, when we had trouble sometimes keeping everybody in line, we had a pretty healthy majority, sometimes 10, 15, 30 seats. Um, this is a potential a situation where you could have two seats to play with, and that's almost an impossible. Being a Republican Speaker of the House is
0: impossible to begin with. But with a, with a two-seat majority, what that allows is every single member has enormous leverage over the Speaker of the House. And that's what they're starting to assert on him. They are trying to say, if you want my vote to be Speaker, you have to do things the way that I want them to be done. And all that does is weaken the Speaker. And, and a weak Speaker only helps Democrats. But each one of these people don't really seem to care much about leadership. They get a lot of their power. Uh, a rank-and-file Republican gets a lot of their power by, by
1: attacking leadership. And, and it plays to the, the base and the, grace, the grassroots.
6: By the way, Senator
4: James Lankford was just nodding his head because that was Brendan Buck, chief of staff for Paul Ryan, talked about the frustration that Ryan had when he was Speaker of the House because the Republicans have freedom caucuses and others who like to speak their mind. Sometimes it's a plus, sometimes it isn't. So if Republicans get the House, great news. They're chairman of every committee. Right. Fantastic. They can do a lot. But the problem is?
13: You got to pass things on the floor. You still got to have 218 votes there. And if if you've got a two or three vote uh, majority that's there, you can literally have four people that just say, I don't like a certain part of this and shut the whole process down. People forget there's 435 people in the House of Representatives. Grab any random 218 people, you know, whether they're in your family or friends or people you went to school with, grab 218 people and try to get them to agree where you're going to go for lunch today. Uh, you know, it's going to be its own challenge. So getting 218 people to agree on anything, uh, does involve trying to be able to pull things together. And Republicans are a little different than Democrats. Republicans are all Eagles. They do not fly in formation. Uh, they're all passionate. They're all individualist. Uh, they're very, very focused, but they're not going to fly in formation. Well, And the base, very often, as Brendan just said, there likes to be able to say the problem's always leadership and it doesn't matter who the leader is. The problem's always the leader. And uh, they want their chosen person to be able to be the leader, except their chosen person may only lead 50 people. Okay, great. You've got to lead 218 to be able to get something done in the House of Representatives. So it w- at some point, you've got to be able to have lots of input, and you've got to be able to press leaders to say you've got to listen to all sides, and then you've got to make a decision and be able to move.
4: I thought about something that could unify you guys, and I think it actually already has, and that's China. Yeah. Because it's approach to China, but everyone knows you've got to be tough. We've got to push yeah. corporate America to be more sober about it and think more nationalistic. Uh, they're going through a massive transition, bulking up militarily. We have to do the same. And I don't see a lot of distance. There's not a lot of people yeah. saying, leave China alone. Yeah, or yeah. are China. Yeah. Are you?
13: Yeah, no, I, I totally agree on that. And there are some on both sides of the aisle that are outspoken on this. Uh, Biden has been very slow in articulating a Taiwan policy, and he seems to be China. all over this. And so we need to, as a Congress, to be able to speak out and say, here's a clear issue on China, and here's how we're going to actually push back on this and, quite frankly, encourage American companies to stop doing so much production in China come bring that production back into the United States.
4: Um, You are with uh, Energy and Natural Resources. Can we expect anything in the lame duck session to get done, or even
13: over the next two years? Yeah, there's still great hope on this. Uh, Obviously, Manchin tried to be able to bring a permitting bill that he just pulled out of his pocket and said to Republicans, hey, you should agree with me because it has the word permitting in it. Uh, We didn't, obviously, but there are a lot of things that need to be done in permitting. And interestingly enough, there's a lot of us that are still pushing on this issue about permitting to say we should resolve some of these issues. Uh, The left wants to see more things with, uh, you know, wind turbines and their uh, their transmission towers, which, by the way, I'm not opposed to wind. Oklahoma used a lot of wind, a lot of solar, a lot of hydroelectric as well as oil, gas and coal. We are truly an all the above state. So I have no problem with all those energy sources. But the left is trying to get more lithium and other things on it. Great. Let's do more lithium. Let's do more transmission. But let's also deal with natural gas pipelines. Let's also deal with how we're going to drill on federal lands and waters. Let's make sure we're really dealing with all areas. If we can get through some permitting conversation, get left and right together on some of our energy priorities, it helps America. And if we're going to bring inflation down, Brian? We've got to actually bring down the cost of energy. If we can't bring down the cost of energy, inflation is not going to turn around.
4: I hear the pandemic. I understand about supply chain. I understand the zero COVID policy with China. But I just think as a leader, if you're really representing the American public, you can't say to them with a straight face, I'm doing everything possible to get gas prices down. When we know in a moment of truth that he's doing everything possible, no pipelines, no more drilling. Yep, he said that last week.
13: Yeah, just last week he said no more drilling. We're not going to use coal. We're going to continue to be able to use very high price uh, energy sources. He's going to Saudi Arabia because he knows that we've got to have more oil, and so he wants the Saudis to be able to do that for climate reasons. Are you kidding me? He's the one who has Venezuela to be able to produce more. Are you kidding me? We need to do American energy production that brings down the price of diesel, brings down the price of fertilizer. That's the way to be able to bring down prices.
4: Does this appear it's been therapeutic for you?
13: I'll take the, I'll take the little therapy session. I wish I could join you at Clark uh, crew barbecue today. That'd be even more therapeutic today, but I got to fly back to the Senate. We got work to do.
4: I understand. Thank you everyone in Oklahoma City. Thanks center